This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Psalm 8, the 8th Psalm. It's a short little psalm, we'll just read it through. It's a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the Son of Man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the feeders, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And in John 1 and 3, that you don't have to turn to, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1 3. The first thing that this psalm tells us, and John agrees with it and endorses it, is that he created us. Verse 5, he made us a little lower than the angels. God has myriads, incalculable number of angels. He even has archangels. Gabriel, the great warring angel, is an archangel. Uh, or sorry, Michael, the great warring angel, is an archangel. Gabriel, is the messenger angel, is an archangel. Even Lucifer, at one time, was a bright, brilliant archangel the cherub that covered the very throne of God until pride rose up in his heart, until God had to cast him out of heaven itself. There are seraphim and cherubim, these great angelic creatures that are around God's throne. In Revelation 4, it tells us that there are four, and it describes them as living creatures, strange living creatures who have six wings, who have eyes all around, who can see from every angle. And these living creatures, one is the face of a man, one is the face of a calf, one is the face of a lion, another is a flying eagle. And they stand around the throne and they cry night and day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. These angels are physically and intellectually and mentally far, far superior to us human beings. They have power even to appear at will and disappear at will. In fact, if they want to, if they need to, they can appear even as men. That's why the scriptures say, be careful to entertain strangers, for thereby you may entertain angels unawares. They instantly 
instantly obey God's commands. And they're sent by God to minister to us who are heirs of salvation, the Bible says. In Psalm 104, verse 4, God makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And yet, in spite of their incredible ability, in spite of their great beauty and power and majesty, God prefers us to them. Thank you, Lord. And that is a wonderful thing, that he prefers us to them. Way back in the creation story in Genesis uh, chapter 1, it tells us something about this here. In verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in chapter 2, just verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. God made us living souls. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are the jewel in God's creative crown. He has endowed us with extraordinary faculties like no other creature on the face of the earth. He has put within us his spirit, and he's given us a human spirit. We are not brute beasts of the field. We do not just live by instinct and primal urge alone. God has put within us a spirit, and he's put his spirit within us as believers today. And that makes us exceptionally special. Because we can worship God, and we can know God, and we can live for God and serve God and understand the things of God. And we can hear his voice through his word speaking to us, and we can obey him. We are the only creature on the face of this earth that God sent his son to die for. And that makes you and me incredibly important to God. Incredibly important to God. Men today are interested in saving the ozone layer, saving the oceans and the whales and the seal cubs and the bald eagles and the rainforest and everything. But God is interested in saving men's never-dying eternal souls. That's what God is really, truly interested in. Death will not be the end for us. The stuff of eternity is in us. It truly is. And the resurrection will prove that. We know that the law of sin and death is working us as human beings, but the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus lifts us above that law of sin and death to the point where one day, even if we die, we will be resurrected unto life if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he created us for him, for his own pleasure. 
And then it tells us he came to us. Verse 4, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Hmm. Out of the, the vast, unfathomable reaches of space, God has placed uh, and our best guesstimate even for this little galaxy we live in is 200 billion stars. In the observable universe, as far as we know, there's at least one trillion billion stars. And all of those we're just discovering in recent years that many stars like our star has got a, a system of planets swirling around them. So there must be untold billions of planets out there. Isn't it interesting that when it talks about the stars, that in the creation story, God sums it all up in just five words. <laughs> Genesis 1.16, he made the stars also. Amen. That's all it says about him. He made the stars also. Why? Because God's more interested in souls than he is about stars. Hallelujah. Stars is lovely. They fascinate me. I could talk about them for hours. But God is interested in the souls of men. That's what he's really interested in. Isn't it amazing also that out of all the untold billions of planets there must be out there in this great universe, that this is the only one that Almighty God came to visit. He visited this planet. It's the only one. Why did he do that? Because we're here. Because this is where you and I live. That's why he came. Huh. The first word when it says, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him. The first word man here is translated Enosh. There's different Hebrew words for man but Enosh means man in his frailty, man in his feelings, man in his fallen state. That man, he came to visit. Thank God he came to visit man before he fell. The Bible tells us that God came into the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day, and there he had fellowship with Adam and with Eve. And what a personal, intimate relationship that must have been between them. And he came to visit them every day in the garden. But thank God, even when man had fallen, he didn't stop visiting because he sent his son to this earth to fallen man. He sent man, he sent, he came to visit man in his perfect state, but he sent his son to visit us in our fallen state. And thank God he did. What is man, Enosh, that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? The, in Hebrew, is not included. There's no definite article. It's just son of Adam, it means. Visit, literally, son of Adam. Adam, in all of his weakness and his frailty, and where the 
sons of Adam, aren't we? We're Adam's sons in all of our weaknesses and frailties and sinfulness. And yet God in his mercy and his love for us sent his son to come to us. Emmanuel, God with us. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we, he, we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. Hallelujah. I find it fascinating when it, in the New Testament, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And he uses the definite article in the New Testament. Because he is not like the fallen Adam. He's the second man. He's the last Adam. And he came without frailty, without sinfulness, without fallenness, without weakness. He came as the perfect man. There never was a more perfect man on the face of the earth than the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect in every way. This planet is the only planet in the universe that rebels against Almighty God. Everything else out there obeys his word and his will, except this little planet. This is the one that shakes its fist at Almighty God. This is the one that refuses to want to do his will and to obey his word. This earth is the only insubordinate planet in the universe and that's why God sent his son to earth only mankind refuses the will of God and God gives us the choice to refuse a big debate goes on within theologians about the free will of man and the sovereignty of God but as long as I've studied the scripture, I truly believe that God has given man a will to choose. And we choose against God. We rebel against Almighty God. And it's only the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God that forgives us for that rebellion and saves us from the consequences of it today. Satan was the leader of this cosmic rebellion. He was the one, in his pride, thought he would usurp the place of God. But he couldn't do it. And God kicked him out of heaven. And then he became the, the rebel leader, could you say. The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air. The Bible calls him the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, who blinds the minds of those that believe not. That's the light of the glorious gospel should shine upon him. And so he came to us in her brokenness, in her fallenness, in her rebellion, and he had mercy <coughs> and compassion and grace. Thank you, Lord. And he saved us today. Thank God for his salvation. We have nothing to boast about today. We really haven't. I know those who are non-Christians think that we think that we're something above them. Sometimes we give that impression. But the reality is we're just sinners saved by God's grace. That's what we are. And thank God for his grace that saved us. 
And then he crowns us. Verse 5. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You are the only creature on God's earth that he has reserved glory and honor for. <coughs> and one day, God willing, one day, you will receive a crown from the King of glory. Hmm. Bible tells us that as believers that one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema is called. And the Bema was the ancient face of judgment. Only we will not be judged into condemnation because those who are in Christ is no longer under condemnation. Our works will be judged to see what rewards we will get. And I haven't time to go into those rewards this morning. We've done that many times in the past. But you can check them out. There are rewards. And one of the rewards will be a crown. And God will give us a crown. Do you ever think about your crown? Do you ever wonder what kind of a crown... It's going to be that you may get. I think about it because it's important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown or an incorruptible, imperishable crown. But we, sorry, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable, incorruptible crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, but I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul watching the Olympiads, watching them in their training, watching them in their race in the arena, seeing the effort those athletes went to to strive towards that finishing line, to get what? To get honor, to get respect, to get a laurel crown placed upon their heads when they stood on the dais to receive that. They did it for themselves. They did it for them to get honor, for them to respect, for them to be called the champion, for them to receive that crown. But we do it for his glory, Hallelujah. for his honor. Amen. That's why we do it, not for ourselves, but for honoring Christ. They do it for a perishable crown because those laurel leaves in a couple of days will be withered and gone. But we do it for an imperishable, incorruptible crown. Hallelujah. How do we get that prize? If we are temperate in all things. 
In other words, our life in this body, our life in our flesh, if we're temperate in all things, if we're not excessive, it's so easy to get off and go astray and get involved in stuff we shouldn't be involved in. It's easy to do that. And it's a discipline in our lives not to do that, but to keep our flesh under subjection. The Bible tells us about mortifying the flesh, putting to death the flesh, the evil desires, the impulses that are wrong, that will get us into trouble, that will lead us down a wrong path. And Paul says, if we are temperate in all things, then we shall get a crown that will be incorruptible, that will be imperishable. And James, the little book of James. In chapter 1. In the book of James, uh, James spends quite a, a portion of that book talking about tests and trials and temptations. Some that come from within, some that come from without. And talking about the ones that come from without, the pressures of this life as a Christian to try to knock you off course as a believer. And if you think those pressures were bad in those days, they're bad in these days. There's different kinds of pressures that's coming upon the believer today. Governments are making laws that are making it more difficult for us to express our opinions about what the Word of God says. You could end up in a court because of it, and some has. We saw the Asher's case recently. We saw Pastor McConnell a couple of years ago having to go to court to defend what he said from his own pulpit. These days are upon us. And these people were going through persecutions because of their faith in Christ. It was difficult. That's why he says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved... He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it brings, brings birth to sin. And sin, when it is fulfilled, grown, brings forth death, and so on. Whenever we can withstand the temptations and the trials of life, both on the outside and on the inside, then he said, would you do that? You will receive a crown of life. It's not easy to discipline your life. There's lots of pressures come against us, lots of stresses and situations, lots of temptations. But if we overcome that by the power of the Holy Spirit, then there will be a crown of life for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And right towards the end of it, verse 17. You don't necessarily need to turn to these. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. 
soul winner's crying. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, he says, you're my crown. You're my joy. I won you to Christ. What a wonderful thing it is to lead one person to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not difficult. You say, David, I've never done that. I, I, would, I, I wouldn't know what to say. Yes, you would. And yes, you could. And you don't need to preach a sermon. You need a few appropriate scriptures that you can learn, that you can turn to. And you can get that person in conversation. And when that person's ready, and only when they're ready and willing and want to, then you can share some scriptures and you can pray a prayer with that person and you can lead them to Christ and know that that person is born again of God's Spirit. It's a wonderful thing to do. If every single one of the, us was to do that, imagine if we were to do that this incoming week if that opportunity arose and all of us did that. Can you imagine the difference that would make? And if every church in this community did this, can you imagine the difference in the community that would make? And if everybody believer in Northern Ireland did that. But most Christians say, I couldn't do that. Yes, you could. Absolutely you could. For sure. And what a joy that would be to receive a crown of rejoicing and to be able to rejoice. Sometimes, you know, if you lead a person to Christ, the chances are that it was somebody else who sowed the seed in their life, that it was somebody else who prayed for them, that it was somebody else at some point who shared the gospel with them or gave a testimony. And you may just be the last link in that chain. And what an honor that would be if it was you. Somebody prayed that prayer with me many, many years ago. But the person who prayed that prayer with me that led me to Christ was not the person who influenced me the most. It was others got me to that point. And my guess is that's what happened to you too. And so it's a wonderful thing to be able to lead somebody to Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, For I am already, Paul's old now, he's coming to the end of his, his life on earth. He's going to die for his faith. He writes to Timothy, his prodigy. He says, verse 6 of 2 Timothy 4, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. Hmm. Now that love has appearing, I suppose you could take that two ways. Love the fact that he's already appeared, that he already came to this earth in just a few weeks' time, whenever it will be the Advent season, whenever we'll be highlighting the fact that God sent his son to this earth, that he appeared in this earth to man to save man. And it can mean his appearing in the future because he's promised that he will return, that he is coming back again. There's nothing sure 
there's more in the Bible about Jesus' second coming than there ever is about his first coming. Much more. And for sure, he said, I will come again. And the fact that he said that tells us for sure he will come again. But not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. Whenever the early Christians would meet each other, say, in the marketplace, the first thing they would do, they would say to each other, Maranatha, which means the Lord is coming. And they would hug each other and kiss each other in the cheek. That was their greeting, not hello, what about you? (laughs) Maranatha, the Lord is coming. It was so real to them. They so believed that he could come at any moment. And they were so looking forward to that. Do we ever think about it? In any given day or any given week, do we ever think that the Lord is about to come? When the science is all around us, when every day I open my newspaper, I switch on the news, I can see prophecy being fulfilled before my very eyes. For those of you who have been with me here these, by the way, it was 39 years last weekend. I didn't mention that, but it was. For those of you who have been with me for many of those decades and heard me preach on the book of Revelation. And the amazing thing is, every time you preach on it, but every 10 years, every time you preach on it, there are prophecies that have been fulfilled since the last time you preached on it. That's how close it is. Every time. When you say, this is going to happen, and then 10 years later, that happens. We are living in the days when prophecy is being fulfilled right to our very, in our very faces. We can see it every day. So do we ever think about him coming back and coming back for us? You see, when you start to think about it, then you will search the scriptures. Then you will look for the signs. We don't know the exact moment. We don't know the day or the hour, but we can see the signs. The old farmers used to go out before you had the Frank giving you the forecast at night, new TV. They'd go out and they'd look at the sky and they could tell whether it's going to rain the next day or not. They looked at the sky, they looked up to see what was coming. Are we looking up to see the Lord's coming? And if we are, and we live our lives in the light of his second coming, then there will be a crown of righteousness for us. And then the final one is 1 Peter 5 and 4. 1 1, first of all, the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that, w- that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Ha! I'm glad I'm getting a chance to get a crown. Because that's who it's talking about. Under shepherds. Those 
who's been given the awesome privilege of being able to feed the flock, of being able to look after the sheep, who's been given the tremendous responsibility and privilege of being able to stand before you week after week after week and break the bread of life. And if we do it faithfully, not by compulsion, not for dishonest gain, not to be lords over God's heritage, but if we do it faithfully, then there will be a crown for the under-shepherds. So I'm in there with a chance. I'm in there with a shout. If I keep right before God, one day I will be held accountable for this. I'll stand before God and I'll have to give an account of what I taught you and how I taught you and how I led you and how I treated you. And that's a scary thought, believe you me. It's a lot of responsibility. And I'm glad that some of you faithfully pray for me and you should pray for your leaders because we are going to be held more accountable than you can ever imagine. And sometimes I lie in the bed and think about that and I can hardly sleep thinking about it. Hmm. He created us. He came to us. He crowns us. And finally, he confers upon us the privileges and the responsibilities to run this world for him we're not there yet but we're getting there did you notice those verses verse 6 you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands you have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen even the beasts of the field the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea you see, Adam was given great dominion over this world. Even to the place where he, he named every animal that came before him. And he had complete control over that. God placed him on this earth to have dominion on this earth. But he lost that. He subjected himself to Satan. And through sin, he fell and lost his first estate. Yes, there are still vestiges of what he had. Yes, there's things that we can control. But not much, really. Certainly not as much as God intended us to have or God will cause us to have. But right now, in this fallen world that we live, man finds out very quickly that he doesn't have as much power or dominion or control as he thinks he has. When Adam lost dominion, he lost control over three worlds. The animal world, the vegetable world, and the mineral world. And that's just about everything. Now... Of course, you could go to Belfast Zoo and you could see Leo the lion behind the bars and Bruin the bear. And they won't touch you. 
and you can look at them, you can photograph them. You can make faces at them, you can shake your fist at them. But if you go to Ambazeli Nature Reserve in Kenya, <coughs> and you go outside that Land Rover, and Leo's over there sleeping, and you go over and yank his beard, <laughs> you'll sorry, soon find out you have no control. You have no dominion over him. And if you go to the foothills of some Alaska mountain, and that grizzly's there, and he's standing at eight feet tall, let me tell you, you're in big trouble unless you've got a gun. What about the vegetable word? What did it say in Genesis? Because of Adam's sin and his fall, that briars and thorns and thistles would grow up. And it would be by the sweat of his brow that he'd have to till the ground by hard labor because he's going to have to fight against the vegetable world. And we're still fighting against it. And if it wasn't for David Henderson sitting there, my garden would be like Eden after the fall. But he comes and he makes it look good. The neighbors that doesn't see him must think, that wee man Goody must be a good gardener. <laughs> but the wee man Goody doesn't even like gardening. <laughs> Never been a good one. 1845 to 1852, Ireland was in the grip of a famine. Because of several bad winters, the potatoes were rotting in the ground. There's about eight or nine million people in Ireland at that time. Three million of them were dependent solely and wholly on eating potatoes. They were tenant farmers. The land wouldn't grow anything else. And they had a big feed of spuds for their breakfast and for their lunch and for their dinner and their supper. It's all they had. And when the famine decimated the potatoes through blight, through that disease, one million Irish people died of starvation and cholera and typhoid. One million. They were starving to death in the streets. And over a million emigrated to escape. Our population now has never caught up to this day. And that changed the culture of Ireland, the economics of Ireland, the politics of Ireland, the population of Ireland. And the consequences of that are still going on to this day. And so the vegetable world controlled Little Ireland for those years. And there was nothing we could do. And now we have GM foods, genetically modified foods. And whenever that Pandora box is open, who knows what's going to come out of it. Why do we do that? To try to control, to how to have dominion over the vegetable world. And once we think we have cracked it, then something else happens, and it's back to the drawing board. What about the mineral world? 
What about the volcanoes and the earthquakes, the plate tectonics, the typhoons and the hurricanes, the tsunamis? Nah. Once that tsunami hits, there is nothing can stand in its way. No structure can stand in its way. And suddenly, we realize we're very, very puny in the face of the mineral world and the vegetable world and all the rest of it. It's been a constant battle ever since the fall, hasn't it? Paul says this world is groaning and creaking, crying out for the manifestation of the sons of God. What God is going to do in the future. We say, David, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that God's going to give us all that dominion and control you're talking about. I'm absolutely sure. Let me show you from Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, which is a very problematic church. I've often said it was the most charismatic church, but it was the most problematic church. All kinds of end fighting and politics were going on. It was a mess, but he loved it and wanted to help it and get it through. And here's just one of the problems within it, because they were fighting among each other. Chapter 6, verse 1, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you not unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Paul said these things should not be happening. If there's a row between two believers in a church and it comes to legal matters, don't do it. Even suffer loss. But get somebody with a wise head to come between and sort that out. Don't take that outside and deal with it. You become a laughingstock out there. That's what he said. Then he says, do you not know that one day you will judge the world? Do you not know that one day you will judge angels? Now, be careful of the word judge. Because God's the judge. And his son will judge. It doesn't mean judge in the sense of condemning we can't condemn angels or we're not to condemn the world. But it means to make decisions, make wise decisions for it. One day, when the Lord comes back, particularly during that thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, he's going to get you involved making decisions to run this world for him. That's what Paul's saying. And he says, if God's going to get you to do that, can you not sort this out, this little thing here? Can you not deal with this? If God wants you to run this world for him, if he wants you to make decisions even for angels, folks, this is what Paul's saying. You see, you read those and skip over that. I know my wife hates me saying this. I'm going to say it again anyway. And that would be pot noodles for lunch again. <laughs> but she's retired, you see. 
<laughs> you know what I'm going to say, don't you? And so whenever, we, whenever the Lord comes and he gives us this responsibility, we will be working far harder than we've ever worked in all of our lives. She doesn't like that. And you probably don't like it either. So sitting up in your fluffy crowd playing your wee harp, forget that. You have a world to run for God. You have a universe to run for him. And the good thing is, he will have so much energy and life. There'll be no sickness, there'll be no disease, there'll be no aches, there'll be no pains. You'll not even need to sleep. Imagine you can work 24-7, Johnny Brady, without any sleep. I tell you, there's much more awaiting us than we can ever even begin to imagine. So right now, this is the time to get involved. Right now, get involved. Johnny says earlier, put your name down and volunteer. Get stuck in. Do something for the kingdom now. Because one day, God's going to expect much more from you. And he's going to give you so much energy and life. You'll just be bounding and bursting with it. You'll not even want to sleep. There'll be so much to be done. Ah, oh, Sally says, that's too much for me. He has made us a little lower than the angels. For now. For now. But then, then, you will be making decisions for angels. For then, you will be giving orders to angels. Could you imagine that? <coughs> God has much more in store for you than you could ever imagine with our little peanut brains today. But he has. Made a little much, little lower than the angels. But then, what a difference that's going to be. And so he's getting us ready. Getting us ready for that day and for his return. And then we'll have all eternity, eternity of eternities, to live for him, to rule with him, to work with him. What a joy that's going to be. And to receive your crown, as we always say, whenever we receive our crowns, we shall cast them before his feet. Because he's worthy of all praise and honor, isn't he? Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.